Yeah, let us be encouraged and yeah, undistracted by our own failures. And I don't mean we're practicing sin, but we can just see so many shortcomings and just brush that aside and keep going. <laughs> That's where not that we want to ignore those things because some things need attention but you um, I'm sure all of us could be so distracted by our own failures that we just fall down and we don't want to do that we want to a righteous man though he fall was it seven times the the implication is that no matter how many times you fall you just get up and keep going Uh, a brother said to me he says you won't fail as long as you don't quit So we want to just keep, keep going. <clears throat> Coming back to Second uh, Peter, we've uh, into the section on a subject that is grievous, but nonetheless is uh, the Holy Ghost has seen it that. Um, it's something that's necessary for us to know and if need be to act on and the whole epistle though it is short of Jude is dedicated to that very thing to uh, the reality of the infiltration of false teachers into the church and their Pathology, how they work, what they do, and the effect that it has. And unfortunately, <clears throat> many people are turned aside by false teachers. <clears throat> the Lord, back in Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, warns of false teachers. So there's people's own personal failures or um, stumbling blocks that they have in our way, but then there are false teachers. In chapter 7:15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Either they look like sheep or they look like prophets. They're false prophets. They a prophet would wear a hairy garment to deceive. And they would uh, turn people out of the way. The Lord said of the Pharisees, you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. So they would uh, yeah, be a stumbling block, even turn people aside that are trying to enter, he says, you hindered. So it's a reality and... Our Lord and his apostles teach us how we can spot these people and to avoid them. And to be very careful that we would ever accuse someone of these things without undeniable evidence. <clears throat> so our Lord tells us there in uh, Matthew chapter 7 that by their fruits you shall know them. 
So how somebody behaves and what they say is going to reveal who they really are. So fruit is speech and it is behavior and those things. And we must be very careful not to judge what we don't see because we can often be wrong in those things, but to judge what we can see and leave the judgment of things that we can't up to God. So let's turn to Second uh, Peter. And we'll start reading in verse... We'll start reading the whole chapter, I suppose, because I hope to finish, although that may not happen. <clears throat> so we know where... Peter has gone, uh, telling us about the word of prophecy, that it is reliable, that it's um, coming from the Holy Ghost, coming from the Son of God. And then he says, but, in chapter 2, there were holy men of God, which were moved by the Holy Spirit to write the scripture, and there are unholy men of the devil that are moved to corrupt that word. Think of the very first work of Satan was to turn people aside from trusting. Did God really say? And that's his still the same today. Is not his tactics are many. But his aim is still the same. And his aim is to corrupt the scripture, not to blow it away, but actually to twist it. That's where he usually uh, is most profitable. And nothing has changed. So, Second Peter chapter 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, that's the Jews of old, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should after live ungodly, and delivered just lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. 
The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things that they understand not, and they shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart that they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with a man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that are clean escaped from, from them that live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it is better... For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that is washed to her wallowing in the mire. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your precious word. Give us instruction in things that are in many ways distasteful. But, Lord, we pray that we could learn uh, from what you have told us. and Avoid such men and to run from anything, Lord, that would smack of these things. And we look to you, Lord. We we thank you for your mercy. Pray you'd enlighten our hearts and our, our minds with the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so we've covered right down to uh, verse 9 of chapter 2. <clears throat> we... We spoke of Lot, who was the archetype of how an ungodly person should be living in an 
or how a godly person should be living in an ungodly society. His righteous soul vexed uh, from day to day. Notwithstanding where Lot went after that, or really his offspring, but himself, um, he was vexed from seeing and hearing um, their ungodly deeds. But then that was a bit of a hiatus. Uh, verse 4 through, uh, through 9 is God's hiatus, <laughs> uh, a separation, a pause. Everyone's heard of a hiatus hernia. It's a separation. Uh, sorry, I, I've, if I use a word that you don't understand. I think a, one, one time I was preaching, I said, you don't need a Phi Beta Kappa. And Martin said, was I the only one there that understood what you meant? And, yeah, sorry, I didn't listen to some American preaching, and that's an American term uh, or idiom, I guess. I don't know what the Canadian equivalent would be. Like, you're, you're, you don't have to be on the honor roll to know. <laughs> I think it's the American version of the honor roll, of which I was never on. <laughs> uh, that's for sure. So that he pauses to tell them that God judged sin in the past and he's going to judge it again. And he gives uh, proofs of that. He's going to judge men that were unclean. Angels he judged. He spared the, or did not spare the old world. Staggering when you think about it. There was only eight righteous people. When the Lord was, uh, or when Abraham was pleading with the Lord, if there be ten righteous, I'll spare the whole place. He didn't spare the whole world. There was only eight people. It's staggering. When you think of the population of the world at that time, at least was millions of people. And there wasn't, more than eight righteous. Notwithstanding, there would have been many infants and everything, but God would take care of those things. Uh, often people don't think beyond this life when they think of those things. God would, even if they had to be uh, taken away, God would have taken them to heaven. <clears throat> so there's that pause, and then he comes back, or that aside, he comes back in verse 10, but chiefly, those that are first in line for judgment are these men. Horrible when you think about it, but that's what Peter is saying. Chiefly, God is going to judge these men, and then he gives reasons why. <clears throat> chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and despise government, presumptuous they are, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. So these men are first in line. He's going to give many reasons why. But I think it would be 
profitable for us to consider the, the three, just as I think now over the whole subject, the three main characteristics of a false prophet. If you can keep this in your mind. Um, and I think if you fell in any one of these areas, then it would be obvious who you really are. So the first one is a false prophet has what? False teaching. False doctrine. False teaching. So a false prophet has false doctrine. And even if he doesn't fall in these other areas, um, that is enough that you have false doctrine. And it isn't that just you get the timing, pardon the word, of the rapture wrong. Uh, but you got the gospel wrong. You have the way of salvation wrong. Uh, we can be wrong and off on, men are off on all kinds of little tangents, but they're not um, damnable heresies, and we talked about those last time. What constitutes something that would, if someone believes, would damn their souls. And that's really what... Um, we're talking about here. We're not talking about somebody being off on this, that, or the other thing about last things or whatever it might be. People may be majoring on one thing and it isn't necessarily uh, necessary, whatever it might be, but people that are off on the gospel, they're off on the way of salvation and they divert people um, as the Lord said, on to the broad road uh, of destruction. <clears throat> and secondly, they're unclean men. They are into uncleanness. And I'm going to be very uh, purposefully avoiding. And I think we all know what we're talking about when we say uncleanness. They are either overtly, these men seem to be, um, they didn't, they were overt. They weren't trying to hide it, so to speak. And yet they, they moved into that position and then at some point they weren't afraid if people knew. And that really reveals their brazenness. And that's another characteristic of these men. They were brazen, brash, bold in their wickedness. But at some point, they privily come in under the radar, as it were. He said they privily, back there, right in verse 1, who privily shall bring in damnable heresy. So they don't come in brazen and bold and say, I'm a false prophet. But they come in under the radar, as it were. But then they... Yeah, it becomes more known who they really are, but they keep going with it. They have no fear of God. And so that would be number two. They are immoral men. And number three, they are covetous. They're after, they take care of the church for their own ends. And they are covetous men. They are out for people's money. 
they are using them as merchandise. And Peter says that they make merchandise of you. They see people as chattel, as something uh, that's going to get them gain. And Peter warns Timothy of that. They were men that, um, that think that gain is godliness. That's a way for them to get uh, money. And it's hard to believe, but there have been many such men, and they are many such today, even more uh, in our age, if I could say that. And I told last time I just had the glance that I went through the septic tank of the Internet and I had to um, glance at a few things that I wouldn't normally look at, but just to get a feel for how these men operate. There are many such men that go on the Internet and that have shows and TV shows because there's a lot of money to be made in that department. And you can, and I said last time, mentioned a guy that he had all kinds of signs that he felt were making him uh, a prophet, all kinds of weird things like oil dripping out of his hands and um, many other such self-promoting signs. I call them self-promoting because that's what he uses them for. He's and then he offers his book for $39.95, and if he sells 100,000 copies, and he, I think that's one particular show has 1.2 million subscribers in the U.S. alone. And then, of course, that goes across the globe. Someone could put out a book for $39.95 and make millions of dollars from it. And... I, I don't know what his personal life is like in terms of, uh, but certainly his doctrine would be strange and the radar should go up and we should be careful um, of these things. <clears throat> That's just, yeah, one example. So those are the three, false doctrine, uncleanness, and... Um, they use the people of God to get rich. One, one man said who had three private jets for his ministry, it's not about possessions but priorities written right on the side of this personal jet. And he said we, we ought to uh, have all these tools available to preach uh, in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine any of the missionaries of old, those that went out the 18th century, 17th century, thinking that way? They went in uncomfortable circumstances and uncomfortable ways to bring the gospel. Paul, by you know, putting it into his context, would have had an entourage of chariots and you know he would have been in a covered coach and everything else if that was the case but he wasn't he's on foot in peril it's a ridiculous uh, proposition that these men put forth to justify their own uh, extravagance so if you keep those three things those would be the right at the top one two three false doctrine is number one 
Um, number two, uncleanness. Number three, um, they're out for money, personal gain. Uh, Paul said, I, I'm not after your, not after, what's, I'm trying to think. I seek not yours, your things, your money, but you. He wasn't after what they had, but he was after them that they would be uh, made in the image of Christ. That's the man of God. He's, he's not after personal gain. And if we can, yeah, whatever you might drop on the way out, so to speak, you can keep those things in your mind. And you'll see them throughout the scripture. They're all there. The Pharisees were, in Israel, the premier false teachers. They handled the scripture, and the Lord said, whatever they sit in Moses' seat means they're preachers, they're teachers, but don't do what they do, for they say and do not. They don't uh, obey the word of God. And these men would be similar. They preach in Jesus' name. So it's not like they're naming the name of, they're not Buddhists running around in the church. They're Christian men. And, but they have these uh, terrible uh, plagues that they have, whether willingly, it seems like they are willful. Whether they, it didn't start out that way, but it certainly got that way. And they have followed a track and they have refused to repent. They haven't turned aside from those things. And the man of God, he has to turn aside from those temptations because he may be tempted at some point with all of those things, but he turns aside from them. Um, Paul told Timothy, turn aside from fleshly lusts, from youthful lusts. Turn aside from the, the love of money and all of these things that can be a snare Because the devil's going to try and ensnare men that are in that position. So, coming back to verse 10, but chiefly in line for judgment is those men that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. And number two in the list there, they despise government. And that isn't... um, you know, the Roman government of the time, but I believe that's divine government. They are, because they're self-willed, he says, they despise both church government. They want to be at the top. They certainly don't want to be in submission to others. Um, But they also despise God's government and his um, hierarchy, as it were, God has a, even in the angelic realm, he has angels that are more powerful than others. I don't understand that, but that seems to be the case. Angels, you have the archangel, who is in his position and in his power. You have that example in Daniel where an angel, an evil angel, resisted a good angel, and he had to call an angel of greater power to to uh, take that other one out of the way. I don't understand that, but that seems to be the case. Just like in an army, you have rank, and you have greater rank as you go to the top, greater authority. 
And it's like that in um, God's kingdom as well. Even amongst men, you had men that were of greater authority than others. Apostles, prophets, teachers, and it goes down the line. And apostles had authority, not their own, but given by God himself. And Martin did a great job. That was so helpful to me to understand authority. And um, that's why we don't speak evil of the government. Because uh, God's put them over us in his um, realm of authority. And that's why we just don't go off half-cocked. And we don't despise God's government. But these men are not like that. They are, it says, presumptuous are they. And presumptuous is uh, another synonym of presumptuous would be they're arrogant. They presume they have some kind of uh, personal power or authority. They're arrogant men, self-willed, to the point where they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now, this is a strange... Thing, or I said unusual, I should use the word. Turn over to Jude. And Jude's uh, epistle follows very closely Second uh, Peter chapter 2. He uses different examples of judgment there in uh, verses 5 through 7. But uh, again, the same exact things, just a little different nuance of that. There are certain men crept in in verse 4, unawares, that's unawares to the saints, who were before of old ordained to condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. They preached, if I can say, a gospel that allowed for them to be lascivious. Kind of like a Romans uh, said, so we sin that grace may abound. They would say, yes, we should. That was their, um, Paul said, those that teach that, their condemnation is just. But that isn't, that isn't the gospel. We don't sin that grace might abound. When sin did abound, grace did much more abound in our salvation, not in our continuance in sin. And by this, it says, they denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So they may overtly deny the deity of Christ. They may not. But they certainly, by their life, they deny Christ. By their teaching um, of a lascivious life, God will forgive and everything else, which is true. But they twist that into allow themselves and others to deny the Lord God in a holy life. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body is the implications of the true gospel. But they twist that, and they end up teaching lasciviousness. And then he gives examples of judgment. 
And verse 8, likewise these filthy dreamers, he calls them dreamers because that's a word for prophets, defile the flesh, despise dominion. That's, again, uh, same as Peter's term, they despise government. And speak evil of dignities. I believe these are evil angels. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he dis- and dis- he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Now, regardless of what you think's happening here, if it's an analogy or if it's an actual event where uh, Michael disputed with the devil, the point be, he, he gives is he didn't go after the devil, but he just said, The Lord rebuke you. And that's got me thinking, how did people deal with the devil and devils? And what, um, how did they talk to evil spirits? And I, I was actually surprised. Even though I've read it many times, I was surprised um, what it was like. Turn to uh, Matthew chapter 4. And I went through just first the Lord Jesus. There's not very much on the subject, but there is enough for us to, to know what's right and what's wrong. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. <clears throat> then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward unhungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And we know the various temptations, but look how the Lord speaks to the devil. Like, this is the devil. You think he would think, oh, there's no holds barred on this. We could just rail on the devil and say anything we want. You wicked, and just have all kinds. No, he didn't do that at all. He just said no, and then he said, as it is written. And he could have just, if anyone could have, he could have. And he did not do that. And verse 10. Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Turn over to Matthew 16. And again, keeping in mind, this is the Lord of glory. This is God come in the flesh, speaking to the devil himself. In verse 23, and he turned, and this is in response to Peter's, and he began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. He told him he is going to die, suffer many things. And then in verse 23, and he turned and said to Peter, recognizing behind that Even Peter's good intentions was the voice of Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. 
again, very, yeah, pointed, uh, authoritative, and yet uh, not, he's not railing uh, on the devil. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Now this is an evil spirit. Mark chapter 1 and verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, and when the unclean spirit had torn him, he cried with a loud voice, and he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth even the evil the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Again, he just says, quiet and come out of him. Not a lot of uh, extra talk there. Mark chapter 5. This is the... uh, the man in the tombs. <clears throat> and they came over to the other side of the sea and into a country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains he plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. A terrible uh, situation this man was in. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And then Jesus, and he asked him, what is thy name? It's, it's amazing. <laughs> like you'd be talking to somebody, say, evil person, what's your name? And the Lord said, what is thy name? And he answered him saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. There was a spokesman, and they had a name. For all, because there was so many They figure, hey, we'll just call ourselves Legion. But he's dialoguing with this uh, unclean spirit. And he besought him so much as he would not send him away out of the country. So the devil is, these devils are, this devil, who is the spokesman, is negotiating with the Lord. Like you think he'd have no, like the Lord just get, you know, he, 
cast him into the abyss. That's what they didn't want. But they asked, and he besought him much that he would not send him out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran, and we, we know what happened. I find that, just think about it. It's amazing. The Lord speaking with these unclean devils, and he asks their name, and then he gives them their request. He couldn't. He could have said anything. He could have said, no, you guys are going, and you're never going to be seen on the earth again. And he could have said a whole bunch of other things, but he didn't. He just... Uh, I think we're getting a flavor for how uh, the Lord is treating these, the devil and these unclean spirits. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and verse 37. And it came to pass that on the next day when they came down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is my only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and suddenly he crieth out, and it teareth him that he foameth again, bruising him hardly departeth from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. And as he was coming, the devil threw him down and tear him, and Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. No fanfare, not a lot of dialogue, and just rebuke the spirit. And cast him out. The disciples there came into a, yeah, a bigger, he said, oh, faithless and perverse generation of his own disciples who couldn't cast out that evil spirit. Acts chapter 16. Not a lot of information, but you're getting the sense. Sixteen, verse eighteen. So this uh, devil possessed uh, girl. The devils are speaking through. These are men. Servants of the Most High God, listen to them. That's disturbing because uh, devils will speak the truth sometimes and then later on they'll speak some lies and that's what's so uh, destructive. But in verse 16, And it came to pass as they went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul 
being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. That's the only instance I could find. Speaking directly to a spirit, and this is the tone and the language that is used. There is none, uh, no example of what Peter is talking about, but um, there in Jude, Michael the archangel did not um, presume um, to have some kind of personal authority, but he just said, the Lord rebuked thee. He didn't bring a railing accusation against the devil. And they have the dialogue there, even God himself speaking with Satan who came to discuss Job. And it's the same kind of situation. Um, But these men are not like that. They are presumptuous. And they'll speak evil of all kinds of, as Peter says, dignities. And then in verse 11 it says, Whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. That's the dignities. Again, the same thing that Jude says back there. He didn't bring a railing accusation against the devil. And we see the Lord and the apostles speaking to these spirits. And he simply cast them out, spoke, if I could say that respectfully. And people get into all kinds of, yeah, I don't recommend you look it up, but I've heard of people talking to spirits and getting all kinds of information, and this is just a realm that you just stay away from. You are completely, you and I are completely ignorant of that realm. God has just given us a little glimpse of it, and you, know, you need to know this and that information, and that's it. But I've heard of people asking spirits all kinds of stuff, and they were... Remember, these are liars. They're not people... They're not uh, spirits that are telling the truth. They'll tell the truth to get people into a lie. That's the way that it works. It's a realm that we have no power, personal power in, and it's a realm that... God has given us power over by his grace and by his spirit. But it's, we have no personal authority. And people that think they do are presumptuous and self-willed. And the, the devils knew who Paul said, uh, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? these seven sons of Sceva that thought they could use just a formula in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. They, um, and the devil just jumped on them and beat them. It's, uh, it's a realm that, yeah, we, we have very little information on, but, and we should be um, approaching it with humility and with the grace that God gives, I give you grace to trample on snakes and scorpions. Those are um, pictures of demonic powers. Even to the point I will quickly put Satan under your feet. 
And that's all uh, through the gospel, through the power of God, through the spirit of God. But there is no supposed power of our own that we can uh, trample on these things. But we have, um, what we have is given by God to have power over these angelic uh, forces. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Obey the truth and the devil will flee from you. You can speak no in Jesus' name and the devil will flee from you. Obey the word of God and the devil will flee. And that's our basic uh, operation uh, in the kingdom of God. But I personally have only heard once in my life a spirit speaking. And, yeah, it's kind of freaky. But it's not something we go looking for. Um, and we, um, we tread with uh, fear and with uh, the grace of God in these things. <clears throat> But I, I'm, I trust you'll get the, the feel for how the servant of God is to conduct himself after reading what the Lord did. Quoting the scripture and obeying the scripture is how we resist the devil for the most part. Notwithstanding, if there's a time where some spirit needs to be cast out, this type comes only out with prayer and fasting. Um, if you have a situation like that. <clears throat> but these men were not like that. <clears throat> it says, but these, in verse 12, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. You don't get the feeling that Peter is very compassionate with these men. And um, often, even the Lord, how he conducted himself with the Pharisees, he, they came in for the most stinging rebuke because they were so brazen and so um, forward in their evil. You devour widows' houses. These were men that were, yeah, they're inwardly wolves that are just looking for an opportunity to hurt somebody and to abuse them. And they're spiritual men. They should have been completely otherwise. And these are the type of men that Peter is dealing with here. But these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of those things that they understand not. Speaking of spiritual beings there. And they, are, they shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Again, he's not praying for these men. <laughs> they have hardened their hearts to the point where they are, yeah, unlike so many others who are just ignorant. They are brazen. <clears throat> Verse 13, And they shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Usually people, when they riot and they do sinful things, they do it when? At nighttime, in a cover of darkness. But 
No, they're not like that. They're right in there with the people of God. And they counted a pleasure to revel in the deception and the abuse of others. It's, like, it's hard to imagine that there are people like that. Um, but there are. Um, and they, there it is. They counted a pleasure to riot in the daytime. And then every time he mentions something that they do, he seems to pour on some kind of judgment or comment about them. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. So they're right in there with the fellowship meal, as it were. And they know what they are, and they are out to get people. (laughs) And, yeah, so you could see why Peter is so wound up with, um, and Jude is even, he piles on the superlatives of judgment when he speaks of them. And Peter, he kind of interjects them uh, along the way. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. They're looking for the women um, that they can beguile, deceive. And, yeah, I wish there wasn't many, but this has happened over and over and over again. Beguiling unstable souls. They know who will fall for them, as it were. And heart they have exercised with covetous, covetous practices, cursed children. Um, so they have exercised themselves in covetousness, contrary to what Paul said to um, Timothy, refuse these things. But no, they have not only not refused them, but they have exercised themselves. They have pumped weights, as it were, in being covetous and taking people's money and taking them for everything that they can. And let's turn to... uh, Of course, I've so far gone from my notes that I can't even get back to where I was. (laughs) Yeah, I just completely left them and just start preaching but uh, I think uh, if I look back in first first Timothy first Timothy chapter 4 of course spend all these time making notes and then I don't even look at them but if I didn't have it I'd be wondering Um, here it is First Timothy 4 and chapter, or 4, verse 7. In verse 6, he talks about nourished up on words of faith and of good doctrine. So bad doctrine is to the body what sugar is uh, to the body. Excess, of course. We're talking about excess. We're not talking about having a spoonful of honey helps the medicine go down in the most delightful way. Uh, But it's, yeah, too much. And false doctrine will erode the soul 
like an abuse of a certain kind of food or whatever it might be, excess. And then in verse 7, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, things that are false, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little. And he's not thinking about pumping weights here. He's thinking about exercising yourself in like an Old Testament, you know, harsh treatment of the body, um, abstaining from certain meats, forbidding to marry, and all of those things that he's mentioned there, supposedly as a, to being more spiritual. He's saying, no, that's not where it's at. But exercise thyself rather unto godliness, for godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is, and of that which is to come. So we exercise ourselves in godliness and say no to these things. It seems like, well, that seems kind of simplistic. Uh, yeah, it is, but it works. Saying no to this and yes to that. Here's a temptation to whatever, covetousness. You say, no. Nope. I'm going this way. Sacrifice and giving. It's as simple as that. And it's all done by the grace of God. But there needs to be our, as Martin said, our participation. And people get kind of surprised. They're carried along in salvation at the beginning. And then they think, hmm, you mean I've got to get up early to read the scripture? Uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> you have to, or stay up late, whichever you prefer. Um, but you're going to have to sacrifice uh, to get somewhere with God. <clears throat> Deny yourself and it's going to be that no matter what you do. To exercise yourself to be godly. All by the grace of God, there's no such thing as bootstrap religion. There is, you can look around and see how people get. You can get a long way with your bootstraps, but eventually it's going to, it won't get anywhere with God. But these men have exercised themselves with covetous practices. How to scheme and get people's money. They are scheming always to do that. And... They, that's how they've got to where they're at. So brazen and brash and bold in their uh, evil. They're not even trying to hide it. <clears throat> Verse 15. Which have forsaken the right way. So there is a willful forsaking there. The right way. The way of righteousness. The way of holiness. The way of the spirit. They've forsaken that way. Which means at some point they were resisting and they just said, nah. I'm just going to just go this way. It feels good and therefore I'm going to do it. And they have continually exercised themselves in that. <clears throat> and they are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And I don't know if I read the story of Balaam again, and at first reading you think, huh, 
I feel sorry for this guy. He seems to be a prophet. And uh, like God told him um, to go and then he chastised him for going. And even judged him for going. It's like, what? God, this doesn't make sense. But you have to read it carefully. These men do not have it wrong. (laughs) God said at the beginning, do not go and curse this people for they are blessed. Simple. But then Balaam, they come and they said, we're going to honor you everything. And then he says, well, let me ask again. How do you make out children? If your mom and dad said no, just take it as a no. And maybe if I ask again in a different way, they'll get mom at a weak moment or something like that. Get mom, I know dad will say no, but I'll get mom to see whether she'll say yes. Mm, No, because then dad finds out and it's like, "Mm, didn't I tell you? It's It's what he was talking about. God says, don't do this. And then... And then Balaam's surprised, if, if my way displeased thee, I told you that at the beginning, that it's, don't go. And it says, if you read the story, he searched for enchantments. Um, no, he is a soothsayer, this man. Now we know what soothsayer is. They're contact with evil spirits. And he was known to be able to curse people and they would be cursed. That's why Balak went to talk to Balaam. That's why he hired him. And he was a prophet for reward. They took with them the price of divination. They were going to, I don't know how he determined that. Okay, this is a, this is a big job. Uh, it's going to be X number of dollars to curse all these people. I don't know what it was. But um, Balaam should have took no that's it. He should have repented, but he didn't. And he loved, it says, the wages of unrighteousness. He was going to take money for cursing the people of God. And he, God said, you're not going to do that. And I'm, now that you've determined that you're going to, in your heart, then I'm going to use you to bless these people. And he did. Uh, and Balak, and he blessed the people of God three times. It was, yeah, they will be blessed. But Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. And then it says in verse 16, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. So God says, I would have killed you but uh, use the donkey to rebuke him and to reason with him. Why are you beating me? Why do you think I'm doing this? Because there's someone in the way that's going to kill you, and I've kind of saved your life. Um, but even later on, we know that Balaam counseled, I know how to get these people. <clears throat> you send the women in there to entice the men, and it says that uh, Balaam counseled his people how to break down the people of God and get them into idolatry. That's where Balaam, if Balaam had repented, I don't believe he would have, he would have joined the people of God, but he didn't. And later on, he's killed with the sword. 
<clears throat> Again, a sad, sad end. <clears throat> and we should never get to the point where we're sad <clears throat> in ourselves for these people, but Peter doesn't seem to be sad for them. He's warning others, stay away from these people. Um, and these are the reasons why. <clears throat> and then in verse 17 through 22, he talks about the effect that they have on others. Again, more of their uh, speech, but their effect <clears throat> and their, how they operate. <clears throat> these are wells without water. Clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. So with every description of them, he just piles on a judgment. It's, it's amazing. <clears throat> so these men appear to be bastions of spiritual um, satisfaction. They ought to have had the word of God in them. But they didn't. <clears throat> so someone stumbling up to a well is looking for water. The woman at the well came to get water, and did she ever get it? <laughs> Through the truth of the Lord Jesus. But these men are, men are stumbling up to, they're thirsty. They're, um, they're going to die without water, but what do they find? They lower their bucket, and ink, and it's nothing but mud. And there can't be any more disappointment than a dry well. Because you go there for water and you find nothing. <clears throat> These are those men. They have, they should have had the word of God, but they didn't. They were twisting it. Saying something, some other message. Again, they're still preaching Jesus. Watch a lot of men, they're talking about Jesus, but they are not preaching the gospel is, is uh, evident here. <clears throat> and they're clouds that are carried with a tempest. So I don't know if you've ever, I think the biggest drought that I've been in was I think the spring of 2012. I may have got my years, I may have been 13, whatever. But I think the rain stopped in mid-April. And it didn't rain again, because I know for sure when it happened, we were doing a job in the city, and that was Dawson. That was 2012, wasn't it? Yep. So it stopped raining in April, I think, and all the way mid-April. And then when we went to do the install, that night there was a thunderstorm, and we stayed at Mike Salvador's place. That was a long time of no water and I wasn't up that night, but if I was, would have saw the clouds coming. And when you see clouds coming, you think, ah, in that situation, rain. <laughs> and for people that farm, uh, a bucket's of water only goes so far, unless I've tried that myself. You go with a watering can, and, it, and the water just kind of runs all out, and think, wow, it's not even going in the ground. It's... You'd have to really pour on enough water. But these men are clouds, the promise of rain, and then the cloud goes over, 
and there's nothing. That's what they're like. Wells without water and clouds without rain. To whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. So he keeps bringing this up. Uh, Verse 10. Chiefly them that walk after the flesh. He's reserving them for judgment. And he keeps... Uh, mentioning the judgment that they will face. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, so they have lots of spiritual talk, but it is words of vanity. They allure through the lusts of the flesh, so their message is sensual, fleshly. It's not... The words of our Lord Jesus Christ, health-giving words, life-giving words. Through much wantonness, so much flagrance, promising people all kinds of things. I I think the the most, um, or the best example of this would be the health-wealth gospel that's, really, it's not just in the United States, but it's gone around the world. It only works in prosperous countries, by the way. (laughs) It doesn't work in the the middle of, you know, some famished place in Africa where people just struggle to get... You're thinking, I'm going to get rich? Like, how? (laughs) Um, But that teaching has flourished in many places. And men promise all kinds of things. And people end up disappointed disappointed with Jesus, disappointed with the gospel um, through this kind of teaching, alluring through the lust of the flesh, things that are earthly and not heavenly. God has spiritual promises. He promises you heavenly blessings under the new covenant, and he promises that you'll have enough. But anything beyond that is not promised to the people of God. But these men have a fleshly message. Uh, They allure through the lusts of the flesh. And they go after people. It said, those that are clean escaped from them who live in error. These are people coming out of the world, as it were. And then they find this. They find uh, a fleshly message with a Jesus flair. And there are... Uh, many that have they've not found freedom from sin but they've gotten right back into it as he shall say while they promise them liberty they themselves are the servants of corruption for of whom a man is overcome of the same he is brought into bondage so they promise freedom from sin but they are secretly um, bound to sin themselves And they bring these people in. They have a promise of some kind of spiritual life, but it doesn't deliver. Um, And then they uh, are brought into bondage. They are in bondage themselves, and the people that they um, are under their care are brought into bondage or are continuing or go back into bondage. Speaking of the Pharisees, 
the Lord said, you, you go over land and sea to make one proselyte, and you make him twofold the sons of hell than yourself. Which is an unbelievable, scathing statement. So people that are preaching a false message are unable um, to produce righteous children. That's what we ought to be. Um, we want to see people holy and righteous, having victory over sin, both in the, in the outward and in the inward. That's what uh, we would consider a gospel ministry. I don't know about you, but it's really hot up here. It's at least 10 degrees hotter up here for sure. I got my long johns on. Oh, yeah, I guess that would, uh, that would do it. But I'm not like Matthew, who would just be basking in the heat. Verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, are again, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So the sad thing is, is that many under this ministry, if I could say that, um, they're temporarily delivered from the world, but since there's no real spiritual power, they get again entangled in their old life. And uh, it's a sad end. Um, but he says the latter end is worse than the beginning. And there are many people that have escaped, as it were, whether it is drink or you could just name the sin and then later on have become entangled in it again because there's no real um, people disillusioned with Christ and with... um, But at the end of the day, they haven't really known the life and power of God. And this is what happens to them. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they've known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. It's a holy commandment. The gospel is repent and believe. And God will give men the grace and the power to have victory over sin. And that's not, uh, for many, that's not an expectation. Um, Many people are content and churches, even that preach the true gospel, they're just saying, well, this is the way Christians are. They're cantankerous sometimes, and that's just the way it is. But I, and that's, these are people that would want people to be holy. So we got that level, and then we got other people saying, ah, there's no expectation to holiness whatsoever. And that's these people. Um, and then people that are under that, if I could say ministry, you know what I'm saying, um, they end up right back in worse 
um, if they had not known. It'd be better if they didn't know than to turn from it. And it's you see a willfulness on the part of the person as well. Everyone's responsible at the end of the day for themselves. Even though these men have been instrumental in their destruction, um, they have turned from the way. There was enough information there for them to, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, to say no to these things. But they were caught up with these men, the message. Maybe they were victims of theirs, so to speak. But they turned from the holy commandment delivered to them. And then it ends with, But it is happened unto them according to the true Proverbs. So this would be both the teacher and the ones that would hear them. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. You can wash a pig off. I've never done this myself, but apparently it's a true. <clears throat> you could take a pig from the nasty pen, and I've seen some nasty pens. Hoi, yoi. Like knee deep in stuff. And they're in that nasty, nasty place. You could take them and give them a bath and then put all kinds of perfume on that pig. And then you'd just let him out of the house and say, don't play in the mud. And you'd go back there and he's just right back at it. Because their nature isn't changed. And that's ultimately um, Christians can get into sin. But our heart's desire is that we be holy. That we be holy. And we need to exercise ourselves unto godliness. It takes effort to reject that way and to go this way. And we ought to be doing that. So again, by way of review, false prop, false message, false doctrine. Right at the top. <clears throat> covetousness, and uncleanness. And if you think of somebody where there's the, the, those are none of those things, um, okay, maybe this guy isn't a false teacher after all. <laughs> uh, yeah, we ought to be careful uh, how we throw around those terms. But Peter doesn't pull any punches here. He... Because he knows they have destructive ways. But the Lord give us grace. <clears throat> we are not in a situation where we have this immediate threat. But there is a world out there where it's, it's, uh, it's rife. And that world is the internet. There are many, many, many men like this cruising the internet. My head just swims. I just Googled uh, Grace Life, and it was like an endless list of, like, from all over the world of, you know, just like, that's just one thing. And people get into all kinds of bizarre stuff. Like, there is churches that are lived entirely virtually 
And when I say virtually, people put on those goggle things and they go to church in this virtual world. They even get baptized. It's unbelievable. Their whole life is a fantasy in their minds. And that is in this time, in this age. The, the bizarre stuff that people can get into. I would encourage us, stay off the internet as much as possible. I know you've got to scoop up the second tank sometimes. And I have to do that too. But stay off of that. Give yourself the prayer to the, you know, the old-fashioned written. This is the way it's been for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The Lord Jesus was given a book and he opened it and found the place. You're never going to have pop-ups here. Never had a pop-up. Reading this. Never. Never. Ooh, ooh, oh, I don't want to look at that. Beep. And you, gotta, you won't have that problem. Just stick to prayer, to the word of God, and to building up the saints, whatever what God has given you. To say no, because the devil is out to destroy you, and uh, we are aware of his tactics. The Lord, uh, Paul said, we're not unaware of his schemes. The devil has schemes, and you can read them in the scripture, how he works. And we want to be aware of them, but not caught up with them. We, we're not focusing on the devil. We're focusing on God. And we want to be aware, but not focused.